0: Hello and welcome to Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and we are going to be talking with two United States senators today about how to make this place work, what happened over the weekend when the government was shut down, and where we go from here. I have with me Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, a Republican senior member of the Senate. I think I would have to say one of the most well-respected people in this body and Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia. We were all involved all weekend on bipartisan meetings at Susan Collins' office trying to find a way to get us out of this shutdown situation. And I think we made a contribution. Lamar, do you, uh, do you think the work that we did
1: helped the leaders to get to a, an exit? I agree with that, Angus, and thank you for having me and being a part of the discussion. Yes, I think the answer is right on that. Of course, the first thing I think is that shutting down the government to achieve your policy objectives should never, ever be done. Uh, Republicans did it a few years ago. It was a terrible mistake then. Democrats did it this time because they their concern about the DACA population. I understand the concern, but I just think it's a bad tactic. I think it's like chemical weapons that ought to be banned. But I do think the meetings in which you and Joe participated and Joe took a leadership role in did help bring together a bipartisan group of senators to help solve the problem, which is what do we do about these young people who were brought here illegally, but through no fault of their own, And at the same time, what can we do about border security? So I think we did make a contribution to getting the government open, and hopefully we can continue to make one to solve the problem. I consider myself still a sort of new guy. I've been here five years, but there were people in that room that had only
0: been here two or three years, and they commented to me afterwards, I feel more like a senator now than I've felt since I've been here because we actually sat around in a room and talked about issues and -hmm. debated, and it was real—it felt— like what we were elected to do,
2: well, I've spoken, my frustrations very loud and clear, yeah, and you,
0: you often hold back, Joe. that's the problem. I worry about you,
2: and you know Lamar uh, can give us more of the history of how the place used to work, and I remember hearing Bob Byrd tell me how things used to be done. The Senate was a sacred place because it truly was a cooling off to where the house is expected to be hot. If it's all two hundred and eighteen plus Democrats, it's going to be hot. If it's 218-plus Republicans, it's going to be hot because they don't need simple majority. But the Senate was always, as George Washington said, the cooling-off spot. It was where deliberate actions were taken. We talked about it and tried to find a commonality forward. I don't know how the power has gotten so great in two people's hands.
0: The two people being the majority Two people the being the majority
2: leader or... and the minority leader. I don't know how decisions are being made by them and only by their staff and none of us, 98, very seldom are involved. I, I think of Senator Byrd, a person who basically wrote the rules and the Senate was his lifeblood. The good Lord spared him by not seeing what well, we've diverse. Very divested. interesting
0: thing about Senator Byrd. He was majority leader. And as I recall, he left being majority leader to become chairman of appropriations. Isn't that true? true. So he didn't view it as the ultimate power.
2: No, no. no. And I think people have said, in Senator Byrd, he'd, he'd say fine. He'd let the process work. You'd have amendments. You want to stay here Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all night.
1: Lamar, how have you seen a change in your time? Well, a lack of one word, restraint. You know, the Senate operates by unanimous consent, so any one of us could stop the Senate from opening every day. But just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean you ought to do it. You're supposed to learn that in kindergarten. <laughs> so usually, if Angus King wanted to offer an amendment, if I hated your amendment, I would I would have the right to keep you from doing that. But I wouldn't do that. I would vote against it. Right. <laughs> so that's an example today we have if senator king senator Manchin want to bring up an amendment on the immigration bill which could very well be controversial some other senator might object to that and keep it from being brought up and then people on your side of the aisle would object to republicans bringing it up and we'd grind to a halt
0: and we end up getting nothing on the on the yeah. floor
1: speaking of senator Byrd, he and senator baker came together baker was from tennessee and the republican leader and in 1979 they read David McCullough's book about the Panama Canal Treaty. David McCullough told me that both senators changed their mind and supported the treaty. And then they had to try to ratify it with 68 votes. And Byrd later wrote that we allowed everybody to offer amendments and poison pills that we could. There were 78 offered. We defeated every one. <laughs> but if we hadn't allowed senators to have their say, we never could have ratified the treaty. And I think that's a lesson to learn, once. <clears throat> Part of the Senate is having your say, Mm -hmm. being heard. And once everybody's been heard, people are more willing to accept a consensus result. Yeah. Well, I I
0: worked here in the 70s, and that was the days of Ed Muskie and Margaret Chase Smith. The Senate then seemed to be more—there was more power in the committees than in the leaders. Mm -hmm. I remember Mike Mansfield was the Democratic leader, and my sense was he was more of a traffic cop than a guy
2: who decided ultimately what everything that went to the floor. You know, know, Angus, what I've said is I've watched the pressure and with all social media, with all the money, the independent expenditures, all the money coming, this pressure is coming down at unbelievable amounts to two offices. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that they can satisfy this, you know, and they have to make these decisions. The system needs to work in the Senate that protects each senator from the outside pressures because the rules basically will dictate. You might thank you for your opinion, thank you for your support, thank you for your advice, but the Senate has a way of working itself, much different than any other body. And I'll go ahead and take that in consideration when I vote. I don't have total absolute control. But now you don't get to vote very much. I'm just, (laughs) let me just say, when I said this place sucks, everything we're talking about is what sucks about it, and it can be fixed. So I said that out of frustration when I made that, and, and it was not the right term for me to use, and I apologize. But the frustration grows in all of us. I just thank God we have people like Lamar that know and is willing to continue to keep the grind and make, try to find, cause if he thinks sometimes like I think, we're in big big trouble, I gotta have
0: some of the common. One of the things that has surprised me is that when one side does something harmful to the other, there's a kind of uh, obliviousness that it will be done back in a couple Mm -hmm. of years. Do you do, know do what I mean? It, we've created a sort of downward spiral. One side does something, the other side then does it back. And there seems to be, that's
1: sort of where we've gotten. No, that's, that's right. And, and, you know, again, that's something you learn in kindergarten. Two wrongs don't make a right, right? And we just persist. One bad behavior develops another. An example is the Democrats four years ago did what we call the nuclear option. Joe and I were here. We both voted against that. Actually, Joe was voted as a Democrat against his own party position, which basically broke the rules to change the rules in order to confirm some judges that Republicans were blocking. Okay. So (laughs) three Three years years later, later, the Republicans come around and do the same thing. And of course, if we keep doing that, we end up with a Senate without, as Senator Levin used to say, a Senate that can change the rules anytime it wants, is a Senate without any rules, like being in a football game and you get the third quarter and you say, hey, we're ahead. We're going to change the rules and say the game ends at the end of the third quarter. Well, nobody would respect that game and nobody will respect
2: a Senate that doesn't abide by its own rules. You know what What the word trust. Uh, in 2013, a shutdown, Susan and I are probably two of the most senators that vote against our parties, okay, or try to vote for what we think we can explain back home. You're right there, and both Lamar, we're all making those independent votes. But we got so frustrated in 2013, the shutdown was avoidable, but we didn't avoid it. Mm -hmm. And that's how we got together. And we said, let's just call this a common sense
0: group. Well, that's what settled the one this time.
2: Was the same.
0: Was an issue of trust. And ultimately, the Democrats decided that Mitch McConnell had made a public commitment to a bill on DACA on a date certain. And we trust him to do and it. And they had to take that leap of faith that that was going to yeah. happen. And I think, frankly, and people, you know, reporters say, do you trust Mitch McConnell? And I say, well, he's this is a pretty good case where he's going to have to deliver. Well, he, he's, he, he's, he said it publicly, his promise, it's no question. And
2: I've told people that. I, I absolutely trust Mitch to put this on to make sure it comes up and we start processing it by the 8th. That's the way I understood.
1: I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, we'll move to the immigration bill on the 8th. With a fair process and of course if it's not a fair process why democrats could object to that sure. i mean that that's within the rules but we'll we'll do that we'll do that i mean the most important thing in the senate other than trust is keeping your word which is a part of trust
2: but you know monday morning at 8 30 we all we got back for our last meeting before we voted at noon and I looked it out around the room. This, was a, of this the, was a meeting of the, of, of the bipartisan of the, of the, group. And common sense coalition group that came together at Z- Susan's f- office, which we're now calling Little Switzerland. Uh, Little Switzerland, yes. And uh, all three of us were there, and all three of us have been there for every meeting we had starting the, the Friday of the shutdown. And I don't think by the Monday morning there wasn't a person in that room, Democrat or Republican. That wouldn't go to war with each one in there as far as defending the person on the other side of the fence they trusted that much. No one believed that someone would tell me something that wasn't true. No one believed that someone would mislead me to where I would hurt myself or hurt them. The trust factor that came out of that, I think, carried the day. I really do.
0: Wouldn't it be nice if that group became the Senate? In other words, <laughs> if it was, we could have 100 people that were easily talking back and forth and trusting one another and
1: well, it, it, that group is the Senate, and actually I think almost every senator would prefer for the Senate mm-hmm. to function better and to operate properly. It, and I wouldn't want people to think we never do that. I'm, I'm chairman of the Health, Education, Labor, Pensions Committee. And you've uh, actually gotten some big well, things we done. we've got quite a bit done, but that's got a lot of jurisdiction. And Senator Patty Murray is the ranking Democrat. She's in the Democratic leadership. And she has on her side of the aisle on that committee some of the most vigorous Democrats we know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, et cetera. But we were able to fix No Child Left Behind, past 21st century cures, very contentious bills, many differences of opinion. And it began because Senator Murray and I worked together. We trust each other and we don't surprise each other. And when we decide to come to a result, we usually can. Let, let me let, can go I ahead. Can Jeff? I
2: ask a question? Lamar, how do we prevent any one of the leaders, whoever might be the majority leader, from filling the tree? How can we keep an open amendment process on the floor, even though one person decides they're going to fill the tree? I've never been asked. And for those people listening right now, um, Angus, filling the tree basically prevents anybody from bringing amendment to a bill that comes to the floor. Well,
1: that's not the biggest problem. I would argue the biggest problem is that when someone brings an amendment to the floor, some other senator objects to the amendment. See, if if, well, if it should if, be germane,
2: if, if it's not germane, I mean, in the state legislature, but if they object, well, then you well, have but, to. But when you offer an amendment,
1: it has to be done by unanimous consent. Senator McConnell this year has rarely filled the tree. That's not the reason we don't have much coming to the floor. I think he would say the reason we don't have much coming to the floor was because DACA was so important to. Democrats that they said we won't move on the mm-hmm. budget caps until we get DACA and we can't do the budget caps until we did the appropriations bill. <laughs> and then we slowed down the nomination, so it takes all week to confirm right. a, a judge who's confirmed ninety seven to nothing. That's so there's not much to vote on. So there's blame on both sides, mm-hmm. but I don't think we need a change in rules as much as we need a change in behavior. These rules worked for many years. Senator Byrd from West Virginia, Senator Baker from Tennessee, they made them work very well. Senator Mitchell from Maine. Senator Mitchell from Maine was a very effective uh, leader, and he made the Senate work hard. They would often bring the appropriations bills up on Thursday night and say, okay, here's the energy and water appropriations bill. We'll have as many amendments as you would like, but we're going to finish it this week. So by about Friday, people would say, well, that was an important <laughs> amendment, but I think I'll yeah, go home. Wasn't
0: that bad? <laughs> well, you, you raise an interesting point. You mentioned the term work hard. I, I've gone back and read some history. For example, Ed Muskie, in the uh, when he was working on the Clean Water Act, had something like 100 hearings. The tax reform bill of 86, there were 33 hearings of the finance committee over 14 months. We don't seem to have the patience for that. Maybe it's because everybody's thinking about campaigning or going home on the weekends or that kind of thing. But your committee, the work you did, for example, on the the, uh, Alexander Murray health bill, you had a series of hearings, you had a series of workshops. I, mean, you
1: I appreciate your coming, even though you weren't a part of that. Well, we committee. both came early. We had we had two thirds of the senators come to four hearings right. over two weeks. Right. And as a result of that, we have a consensus piece of legislation which will lower insurance rates in Maine and West Virginia and Tennessee. The first changes in the Affordable Care Act bipartisan in eight years, I believe it'll pass by the end of the month. I certainly hope so. But Angus, I'm going to need to go to our chairman's meeting, speaking of working. (laughs)
0: Yeah. All right. You go to work, you you go and and do well, and we'll talk about you after. I know you and
1: Joe will, but first, (laughs) I, I, I want to thank you for doing, I mean, you're an independent senator and you caucus with the Democrats, but when we, you and I worked together on the student loan issue when President Obama was here, we lowered rates interest rates for college students in Maine and across this country. And because we work together in a bipartisan way, nobody's trying to repeal that law. It it, it lasts for a long time. So that's a good example of what we can do. And you and I worked on that together. And Joe was right in the middle of that as well. The three of us worked on student loan interest rates with Tom Colbert. You you know, it's funny when you
2: come from rural states, like all three of us come from with a big rural area. I've always said, if I can go home and explain it, I can vote for
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good standard. Thanks, Lamar. Have a good meeting. Thanks so much to Senator Lamar Alexander for joining us. He's off to a meeting of committee chairs. That shows you what an important guy he is. Thanks for being with us, and we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We're talking about the Senate and how it works and how it doesn't work. With me for the rest of our morning interview is Joe Manchin, Democratic Senator from West Virginia, and a guy who it's not hard to figure out what he's thinking. Joe, you're going to keep at it, trying to make this place work better? Oh,
2: yeah, I think, and with your help, thank God, uh, you keep doing what you're doing. Makes all the difference in the world. So we're going to keep doing what we do. You know, We're going to keep meeting, and Angus, you know, you have a tendency and you have such a uh, ability to bring people together because of truly you're it's, independent. It's the ribs, Joe. It's, it's the, the ribs. Rib, the ribs work. And, <laughs> and Carmine's, the Italian food at Carmine's works too. works too. But it really is. It's been great camaraderie. And but you don't you think, I mean,
0: I, I contend, again, going back to having worked here many years ago, one of the problems here is people literally don't know each other.
2: It's they a don't, shame. They, everybody goes home on the weekend. Think about our schedule. Yeah. We get here. We get here Monday 5:30. afternoon. People start filtering in from anywhere from noon until we're right up to five thirty. Right. So you're only going to be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. They got, they know you got three nights. Right. Your staff has got you scheduled up clear up to midnight if you can even find the time to go to bed. Right. So you got everything going for you for those three nights. Not a night that very seldom that we can find a night which says, "Can we all have dinner together?" Right. The staff says, "Well, I'm sorry, we can't work it in." That's just ridiculous, that, yeah. it's and, just ridiculous.
0: And then, the last vote's Friday, uh, Thursday oh. afternoon, and everybody goes home, whether, do you know that our friend Brian Schatz from Hawaii goes home pretty much every weekend to Hawaii? And Michael Bennett's family, they go back to Colorado, Wyoming. Here's what and I, I contend say. that one of the problems is, we talk about trust, you can't
2: build trust if you don't have some relationship with Here's a little else. thing the public doesn't know, and I tell them, I said, here's how I believe that things are not in in the proper order. I guess at some time in the past in history, they justified us going home every week and getting someone paying for our plane tickets as long as we had one meeting with a constituent. So I can get off the plane in Charleston, West Virginia and meet with the airport authority while they're already there, and that would justify my plane ticket getting paid by the taxpayers for me to come home. I've said this. If they just would say, we're going to pay $1, plane ticket round trip for you to go home a month. You want to go home every weekend? You pay. We'll pay for one.
0: And if we work Monday to Friday. Well, and i said- And the other problem, Lamar isn't here, but I think one of the realities people don't understand is even at lunchtime here, we're kept apart. Tuesday and Thursday, the Democrats and Republicans have their caucus lunches. And on Wednesday, for some reason, the Democrats don't do it, but the Republicans do. They have a lunch every day. Oh, then, so it's almost as if there's a conscious effort to keep us
2: from getting to know Well, others. and then on top of that, every year you have your retreat. You have your Democrat retreat and your Republican retreat. And you know what the treats are for? It's the other It's war plans. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a, well, How are we going to battle? It's just absolutely asinine to me. And I've said... Why don't we just stay here and work three weeks and go home for one week a month and stay the whole week and work with our constituents, make sure we know what's needed in our home state?
0: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being in connection with your constituents. No, you need to. But but I think uh, three weeks on and one week off. You give
2: me a week with my staff every month, a week with my staff in West Virginia. I can better serve West Virginia and get around and do and meet and hear everybody. And they expect me to be here three weeks Monday morning to Friday evening working like the Dickens, and hopefully on a Friday evening or a Saturday or Sunday meeting with my Democrat and Republican friends right. and their families having a dinner it would be so right. much better.
0: Well, you know, in the 70s where they people talk about yeah. the great Senate, everybody lived here, their families were here, and they, you know, they went to ball games together, kids played Little League together, they played golf and barbecue and all that kind of thing and commuted together and and now uh, all of that is uh, pretty well gone that's I'd be afraid. you and I you and I I do the rib dinners and you you have people down to down your to boat, boat. but but there's
2: not much uh, other than that there's not, not much, a lot going on not a lot of And I'd regular. be afraid to give every center up here a golf club
0: <laughs> <laughs> now now well the reality is that I thought what was interesting about these meetings over the weekend were that there were I don't know. How about the talking stick? Well, that was that was funny, but uh, yeah, yeah we, we had to bring to, the basketball. We had to go to a, things over a yeah, bit. We
2: had to go to a nerf ball <laughs> so nobody hurt anybody else. Well, you know, I can understand. I, you have to have good reflexes, like George Bush trying to catch a shoe and they threw the shoe at him. Yes, he ducked. Good. <laughs> You've got to be able to catch that that uh, stick that coming across right. at you.
0: <laughs> but the idea that we could actually sit in a room and debate and talk and respect one yeah, another—that was good. I mean. One of the things that I find amazing, this sounds like a mutual complaint society, you and I, but we have these so-called debates on the floor, but there's no debate. Very rarely do two senators actually argue with one another We call them the colloquies, the right? Senate.
2: But a colloquy is always prearranged. You go right. down there knowing you're going to talk cordial. I'm not seen since I've been here, and I've been here since, what, November 2010. If you're giving your talk and your position, and I would say, will the good senator from Maine yield for a question? So I can get clarity and have that little debate. And most of them said, well, I will yield at the end. I want to go ahead and get my... So there's no debate back and forth because you might have mentioned something that I don't either understand it or I might disagree, but I would say, would Senator King please yield so I can ask him for clarity. You would do it if someone asked you that. There's people here that never been through that process. Well, do you think that this group that that we have right now. That
0: we have right now might be able to build on, to not, last time when we did this during the 13 shutdown, there was a smaller group and we sort of disbanded after the shutdown. This time, I hope we can sort of keep going and talking and try to come out of this with more. What we
2: should do is go to our leaderships on both sides since they have so much control and say, we want you to just give a little bit of control back and we're gonna work a floor piece of legislation and we're gonna go down there And show the public how it's supposed to work. The group we have right now, 20 plus strong, Mm that will stay 20 plus strong. We could go down there and show the debate, show the dialogue back and forth, show how you come to a conclusion. Maybe write an amendment on the floor, maybe adjust an amendment on the floor. Mm -hmm. Both of us come from states, and we were both governors, Angus, that our legislature, that's how they worked it. Sure. You had the first reading, second reading, and the third reading.
0: And you had actual debates where the people were in their seats, they Going were debating back and forth. Back
2: and forth. The first, be, the first reading of a bill usually is introduction of that bill. The second reading is amendment stage.
0: Well, as you know, when you first get here, I used to say when I was presiding over the Senate, and people would be impressed. Oh, they thought I'd we were—they
2: thought we were in charge. Pretty important,
0: yeah. I said, don't be impressed. That's a—it's a duty of freshmen. <laughs> but I heard some speeches. I—I was presiding officer. There was no one else in the hall except, for example, Tim Kaine. I remember Tim Kaine making a speech. And I remember thinking, if everybody had been here to hear Tim's
2: speech, I think it would have changed some Change minds. Votes. Change but votes, but nobody.
0: It Not required work that
2: way. Very few times impeachment were required to be here in our seats for the impeachment, and also for a, uh, for a roll call. That's but, about it. But very, it's 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 very, very unusual.
0: Seldom. Well, I think part of it is rebuilding trust. And I do think uh, what happened this weekend, although there's nothing good about a shutdown, the, the only good thing was the emergence of a feisty middle, if you will, a middle that really wants to make You know what I think about it is when
2: I watch all the sports teams, especially football, sometimes every sport team, eventually a pro team, wears their old nostalgic uniforms. You've mm-hmm. seen this go back. Yeah, oh, Sure. So some of them are pretty ugly. <laughs> <laughs> we know why they moved on. Yeah. Uh, what we need to do here is bring back the nostalgic Senate and try some of the things that we said and what we've heard and we've read about used to work and just try them, just try them on it. We have enough of us now. To move that. Do you remember,
0: I don't even now remember what the issue was when we all went into the old Senate chamber.
2: Oh, I know exactly what that was. And had a long. It was uh, a shutdown, 2013. Was that what it was? It was about the shutdown. A hundred. There was no, you were just here. Yeah. There was no uh, staff allowed. You remember Mark, first, yeah. Mark sat in the chair at first, but it was just a hundred. And that was where the first hour was just very contentious. Everybody was talking at each other about each other, but no one was talking to each other. And about the second hour, it started to change. You could tell it flipped. Mm-hmm. And that's when Lindsey Graham stood up. He said, I don't know why you all are so concerned and so excited about us being dysfunctional right now. The last time someone from South Carolina spoke, we were in a civil war. <laughs> yeah. He was channeling John C. Calhoun. <laughs> he said, we were going to civil war. This is easy. I
0: thought one of the funniest moments in our meetings over the weekend was... Uh, when uh, Chris Coons was talking about how passionately he felt about the subject or something like that and how much it mm-hmm. meant to him. And Lindsey Graham said, would you please quit talking about your feelings? It makes us really nervous. Or something like <laughs> Lindsey Graham is a, a very has funny some, guy. He's, he's quick-witted, too, and he comes, you know. But uh, I think one of the things the listeners should understand is nobody I know is here for evil purposes or doesn't want it to work. We, we just need to figure out... How to harness the energy and intelligence
2: of a hundred pretty good people. When I talk about the rules of the Senate, sometimes we have to have rules to protect us from ourselves. And right now, if you ask me one rule, when I first got here, they expect us to make phone calls and raise money for the DSC, which is a Democrat Senate committee if you're a Democrat. If you're a Republican, they expect you to call. If you're an
0: independent, you don't have to do that. You don't have to. Well, as you're a Democrat,
2: you don't have to do it either. You might be expected, but I can tell you as a person who doesn't do it, and when they told me, I said, now what's, and they said, well, that's for the DSC, so when anybody's up for re-election, what we call in cycle, that money will be used to try to help them get elected, or it'll be used to try to defeat somebody on the other side, the Republicans. And I said, so you expect me every day to call and raise money that's going to be used to defeat a person I'm working with?
0: Well, you and I, I think, have... I don't know who else has this policy, but I just said from the beginning, I'm not going to campaign or fundraise against any of my sitting colleagues.
2: And that's great. As an independent, that, that's exactly, and you have been absolutely true to your word on that. Try that being having identification of a party besides you, a D or an R. When I told Harry Reid, I will not make a phone call to raise money against a setting Republican, I will not campaign against a setting Republican, and I will sign pieces of legislation up until the day they get elected or defeated, not trying to harm them. But if it makes sense, I'm for it. And I'm just saying if we had an ethics rule that said that no setting member of Congress, that's 535, can openly campaign against a setting colleague. So if you're an R, you can't go out and campaign against a D. Well, you know that that was the unwritten rule that was, that was always the rule. In, in, up
0: into the 90s, I think.
2: But and now we have to cut our wrists and have blood to seal this today because no one believes that you will do that. So I said that should be done. Two things I think can fix the country. First of all, fix Congress so we work together and we respect each other and don't try to kill each other. I tell people I come to work in a hostile work environment every day. This is a hostile work environment. I know that all my friends on the Republic side are being probed to go raise money to defeat me in 2018. I know that. Yeah, And they look at you, and I don't know how many of them are strong, so I'm not going to do it. They know I won't do it, so maybe, maybe they'll reciprocate some. But with that, I know what they're put under pressure. So I've said if we had that rule, that would protect us from that. Well,
0: you, I don't know how you're expected to work together with somebody who you, you know that— Tried like hell to kick you out.
2: Well, in West uh, Virginia, if you go to before, work every day trying to get your fellow worker fired, they're going to meet you in the parking lot and take care of this problem.
0: <laughs> that's one way to take that's care. That's exactly of it. how. they But take that's care a of it. way to put it. I mean, that's yeah. what exactly what we're talking. And the about.
2: other thing, you want to fix the, the districts as far as the gerrymandering, the people right. talk, I and mean, where everybody's guilty, Democrats and Republicans, if they're setting already, and you go every ten years, the census comes out. And I think it years, ought to, it ought to be in some kind of uh... neutral committee i've said that basically it should be computer driven for yeah. diversity and that way it's fair pennsylvania's going through a heck of a challenge right now and they're gonna to have to rewrite North carolina but they're all they're horrible they basically have gone to either push people further apart and divide our country up and from all different types of uh, personal preferences i've just we can fix it but we've got to be able to fix it from ourselves destroying each other when i was governor and you can think about different things I used to use the federal government as the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. I had to blame somebody because I couldn't get legislators to want to do things.
0: Well, people used to say, as a governor, do you know anything about foreign policy? And I'd say, sure, I have to deal with
2: Washington. Well, they'd ask us about this and this. So I told the federal government, I says, you've got to make us jump through hoops to get there. If they think you're going to give them something with unencumbered, oh, they'll just look at you all the time. So whether it was matching down for your federal unemployment money you needed or workers' comp or whatever it was, I would say for not the government, federal government, we probably could have gotten that done. You know that. But so people that were coming from the far right or far left, I used the federal government to try to get them back to the middle because I right. couldn't do the things. So we protected them and ourselves from the mm-hmm. rules and regs and basically used them. But we don't have anybody here. We are it. Well, and, and that means it's up to us to fix it. That's exactly right. And oh, we should yeah. be adopting some rules, and we should adhere to those rules. And the ethics is where we do it. Nobody wants to have an ethics complaint going into a re-election. Well, I'm on the rules committee, and I've been talking quietly. here. Uh,
0: we're running out of time, but yeah. one thing that really bothers me, and I, I got then this bothered me in this whole shutdown thing, is this continuing resolution business, the so-called CR. Which is, and, and for the listeners, what it means is you can't decide on a budget, so you just pass this thing called a CR, continuing resolution, which just maintains funding as it was last year, but it avoids the difficult to decisions. Simplified, of making it a means budget. this.
2: And I tell people back home, it means this: the furnace blew up, the refrigerator's on the blink, but you can't spend any more because you haven't made any more because you can't. You have to do exactly what you did last year, right. and that wasn't in the budget last year. Right. That's and, where and, you are. But the problem is they've been used so frequently now. Oh, I, I went back and. We're operating on CRs.
0: Uh, on the last 20 years, Joe, we've had an average of 5.6 CRs per year. And the average length of time to get to a final budget is 137 days after the deadline. That's ridiculous. And that's one of the problems is that we avoid making real
2: decisions. I'm a big proponent of ballot and budget amendments. Will we well, you and I have one that states. Will where you, you have... join
0: my No More CR
2: caucus? Oh, no. <laughs> no say, can you see? <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Listen, yeah. we're out of time, thank but uh, Joe, thank you so much for the time. Thanks, and Angus, thanks for for, being here. for what you're doing and let's keep going. We're going to make it work. We will. I want to thank Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, Joe Manchin of West Virginia for joining me today on Inside Maine. This is Angus King. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.